everyone, it's Lou Rosenfeld, and you are listening to the latest Rosenfeld Review podcast. And today I'm with Carol Smith, who is uh, leading user experience research at Uber ATG, the advanced technology group, uh, where um, she's helping them figure out this interesting topic of self-driving vehicles. And, uh, you know, I've been struggling to some degree with the future of IA and, and what kind of roles uh, information architecture people uh, might have. And, uh, you know, I know that um, machine intelligence has some interesting opportunities. And if you start poking around and try to learn about the intersection of machine intelligence and IA, Carol Smith is the right person to talk with. So Carol, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I know you probably can't talk about all the kind of super secret stuff you're doing at Uber, but um, maybe we can start in a more general sense. Now, my understanding of uh, machine intelligence and AI in general is let, let's, let's say I'm, I'm not too far along, but I know we talk a lot about algorithms and all the inherent biases that humans through acts of uh, omission and commission inject into those algorithms. I don't know if that's an IA challenge. I would imagine the big challenge for IAs is in areas like ontology definition and domain definition, like what is the content we should be teaching these algorithms about or turning these algorithms loose in and, and you know, so where do you draw the line content wise? What kind of entities should these algorithms know about and be able to discover that you can help bubble up from the content? Where would you start us off? Yeah, yeah. So it really, as you were saying, it really is a start at the content. Like, what is this domain that I'm trying to understand? And most of the artificial intelligence systems stiff, ship in a way that is, is stupid, if you will. They, they really don't know anything about the topic that you want them to be smart about. And so you have to start with literally working on the ontology. What, what are these particular terms? What are the things that you need to know in order to understand this domain? And then how are they related? Um, what are the, the different um, players in the space? And what are the definitions? And how, how can I look at the space in a way that uh, makes sense? And, and they don't learn the way humans do with all of our senses and our abilities. Rather, they literally only know what you teach them. And so you have to really go through those basic steps of this is a thing and this thing is related to this other thing. And when these two things occur, then this means this and, and all of that work. So any bias that you're teaching it at that point is going to be carried through into the entire system. And if you teach it too much or too broad of a set of data, it won't be able to give you proper results. It will give you a lot of junk in return. Um, so it's a really tricky balance to, to get that right. So that balancing act, uh, how do you, I mean, do you find that you're under pressure um, constantly um, by um, people on the business side, let's say, to go broad when you know that going too broad is going to really weaken the ability of uh, the AI system to deliver any value. Yeah, I, I, the broader you go, the more um, the more ambiguous the language becomes. Right. Yeah, and and I do think that people expect these systems to know a lot more than they than they really should. Um, in order to be good systems. So a lot of people really want and expect an AI system to be 100% accurate. Like every answer is going to be exactly what I want. But in order to get that level of accuracy, which is almost unheard of, it's really hard to get that level of accuracy. 
because you have to go so narrow with regard to the content. So if you've got a, a very, very refined, small um, section of, of information that you want it to look at, it can get that accurate. But if you are in an industry that has a lot of information, which most of us are in, if, if we're doing information architecture particularly, it gets really difficult. And so it is a frustration, I think, from the business side to, um, you know, much like people uh, fairly recently were saying, we need an app for that. They're now saying, we need AI for that. And finding themselves very frustrated to find out that not only can I not get it off the shelf and have it be 100% accurate, but it's going to take potentially weeks to months to get a very small AI system working. And AI might not be the right solution, uh, depending on the problem that they're trying to solve. So if someone comes, let's say you were, you know, a couple of years from now, you're post Uber and you are this, the, the world's leading consultant uh, when it comes to the intersection of AI and machine intelligence. And your clients come to you and ask you for advice about what, you know, they, their product. Is, it, is, is my product the right one for AI or, or am I barking up the wrong tree? What are the heuristics you're going to use to really evaluate what the best uh, contexts are for applying AI? Yeah, yeah. So in the future, I'm hoping the systems will be faster, which will enable a lot more, you know, the training will be quicker, mm -hmm. the amount of data that these systems can look at will be uh, bigger. Uh, so that that would improve and broaden the, the applications. But at the same time, you know, the, the question is, is it, you know, are you trying to do something that, that is really small, but actually doesn't take that much time for a human to do? Or are you trying to solve a problem that a machine really can solve much better and faster than a human? So looking at patterns across large amounts of data is something a computer does really, really well. Um, looking for, um, for example, in a set of um, accident reports or something like that, trying to find a particular type of incident is something a computer can do really, really well if you're, you're having them look for things and then bring those back to you. Um, but the, um, looking at more subjective information, trying to um, do creative things, those, those aren't things computers are as good at. And so a lot of it depends on the, the type of problem you're trying to solve. But, but I do hope that in the future, it won't take weeks to months, but rather you know, days to weeks maybe to, to bring these systems up to, up to working. Well, all right. So you know, let, let's test an idea out. Um, I am a, 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 a knucklehead with somehow locked into some money and I have a startup idea. And I come to you and I say, uh, I want your help creating uh, an AI-based tool to help with conference call scheduling. You know, it's like so many of us really need that, right? And, it, right. It, and it's a fairly narrow domain. And uh, it's the, it seems like a lot of the entities are already defined and the ontology is probably there to some degree. Well, you know, are you going to tell me, well, you know, it ought to work uh, for that reason? <laughs> I'm going to say, well, why didn't somebody invent it already? I don't, yeah, I guess this is one of those areas I'm just so frustrated by. Why can't we do that already? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Conference call scheduling is the worst. Um, and, and I, I uh, you know, offhand, I would say, you know, what, what content do we have? Do we have enough content about it? I, mm -hmm. 
you know, another example might be um, long care is something I talk about because it's, it's a pretty something people mostly are familiar with. Even if they live in an apartment, they can kind of imagine. That's why we live in apartments. Things. Right. <laughs> exactly. Avoid all that. Um, and uh, I, I do have a lot. So I, I do think about it. Um, and uh, just, you know, thinking about what what is it about that? space uh, that that information that, that I have available to me and then how can I bring that information together and take a look at it in a way that is going to be helpful to the system. So one of the things is quantity. There needs to be a lot of data about it and uh, I think that's where conference conferencing you could look potentially at across a lot of people's calendars and, and potentially gather all that information and know that you know this person is available in the mornings and this person is more available midday and yeah maybe we can make this work but but ah oh, that's such a tough problem. I wish we could solve it. Um, Seems what, like it should be a yeah. I yeah. Think maybe, maybe the problem there is we don't want to give the robot access to our data. Especially well, that too, right. Organization. Yeah. 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 Well, all right. But this issue of lawn care is, is pretty interesting because, uh, you know, what is the domain? How do you define the domain? Right. I mean, there are, there's a lot of language ambiguity even within the domain because yes. uh, UK English versus uh, US English, for example, where we talk about a lawn versus a garden or maybe a pitch. That's tricky. And mm -hmm. then, uh, I would imagine, you know, there's a certain scientific aspect of lawn care or, or, or practice that's called turf science, and they probably use a very different vocabulary to describe a lot of the same stuff. Is that it, those areas that you need to have IA people to work on the AI? Yeah, yeah, definitely, because you want to be able to organize and classify the information about the um, particular varieties of lawns, the particular types of treatments, the particular, um, maybe it's, it's shade or uh, sun, and um, what are all those different variables and how are they related and what's the organization of that information, and then looking at potentially previous treatments and, and looking through all that information and trying to organize that information and relate it to the, the base ontology, and then um, bringing that all together into the system and training the system so that it's making the selections that are appropriate and having it uh, potentially trained by those lawn care specialists themselves. And so that they're bringing their knowledge and, and training a computer specialist, if you will, the, the AI becomes another um, person who can, or not a person, they are not people, uh, but, but a system that can then make a intelligent decision based on the information at hand. So that if you come to a new client and you want to help them with lawn care, you can more quickly determine what is the right treatment given this situation, given mm -hmm. this particular, um, or, you know, uh, lawn and, and the sun and, and everything else, instead of looking at potentially at multiple different sources to figure out what the right one is, reading the back of labels and things like that. Instead, if all the information is in the system, you'll know, oh, you know, this family definitely has an allergy to this particular type of uh, chemical. So we want to make sure that no matter what, we aren't using that particular chemical and, and that can help you to, to refine that treatment potentially. Uh, let me ask you this. We so you just described uh, aspects of an ontology and that made me wonder why in this context uh, do we use the term ontology? Right. Not typical in IA. Yeah. No, it's a good point. That's a good point. But it is uh, a situation where you have to have a language to describe these things and, and a way to organize the, the way the system is going to understand it. And it doesn't, um, it doesn't have to be hierarchical, but it does need to be a relationship between the various pieces. 
Um, so, you know, th there is a, a set language that you're teaching it. There is a set of definitions and, and other pieces that, that all work together within the system. And it relies on that information to make uh, decisions with regard to new data. So you have an existing system, you've trained it, it has, you know, thousands of pieces of information about the system. And now you're introducing a new situation and expecting it to take all of that previous data and apply it to this new situation. Mm -hmm. And, and make a reliable result, something that you expect, and potentially something you don't expect, but, but it's making that decision based on the way you've, you've trained the system and the, the information that it has. And, and just getting back to the term ontology, I'm guessing, you know, one of the, the differences here that might stretch some information architects is that um, the, um, the, the analysis is that, you use, that you do to, to Build an ontology, first of all, as you said, it's not necessarily hierarchical. It's also not very much necessarily focused on nouns or objects. It, there's sure. a lot of verbs in there and there's a lot of relationships. Yeah. In fact, that might even be the most interesting aspect of ontology development, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. Because it is, it's much more complex than a simple hierarchical list that we're used to for, uh, you know, the, for a site um, index or something like that. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot more complex and, and robust. In that so, sense. so what is the, so let's go back to your lawn care example. What, what are some of the example, the types of relationships that you would be extracting out of your analysis of that domain? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it may be as simple as um, this particular type of grass won't grow in this particular type of situation or this particular type of treatment might need water applied before or after or during. Um, and, and those types of things would all come together potentially. You could also um, have a situation where you want to track particular um, lawn care technicians and, and see how successful they've been. So, um, you know, this particular technician, um, the, the lawns are improving in this way or something like that. And so you could start to track that potentially if you had those people in there. And so you'd have a technician related to a client and that, that client would be related to particular treatments that were given. And that information would also relate to uh, the particular type of lawn it is. So it's, it's a shady lawn and, and the grass is the proper grass and, and it's growing beautifully. And <laughs> well, you know, and also, I mean, you, you've described some things that, especially in the lawn care example, relate to things like seasonality. Mm -hmm. What happens in the spring is very different than what happens uh, in the falls. The, 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 the growing season winds down. Um, and you also talked about various conditions and treatments, which imply change and yeah. change implies the passage of time. One of the questions I have for you is the IA work on ontology seems to maybe require a bit more focus on time and cadence as things that you define in a sense that you don't typically in a lot of traditional IA contexts. That's a Which I find very exciting because yeah. I, I always felt like um, that was a tough thing to address um, in the certainly the olden days of IA. Do you, do you find that that's one of the areas that IAs are getting stretched in, uh, or uh, as they they work in these AI settings? 
Yeah, and I think things just in general are moving so quickly. So, so there's the time progression of a particular situation. So, yeah. um, you know, there, there's the the one that people are more familiar with probably, which is like in banking or in any relationship where first they're new and then they're existing and then they're established or something. And so, so the information architecture, yeah, the information architecture might change through that journey, if you will, you know, in their experience. Um, but, but more so, even it would be, um, you know, even more. Uh, potentially different and, and especially as new technologies are coming up and that sort of thing. So, so there's, there's the time that we've been dealing with, which is a little slower. And then there's the time that we now have to kind of address, which, which to your point may be much, much faster and much more changeable, especially as new data is being brought in. If you're working in uh, scientific areas, healthcare mm-hmm. um, areas where there's just constantly new papers, there, there've been studies to show that for a physician to keep up with the amount of new data that's created, they would be reading for, um, I think it's 60 hours a week or something. So they'd never see a patient and they wouldn't sleep much either. Um, and, and that's just a, a pace. Is that of, the way it is now? Yeah, right, right. Um, and, but that pace is, is not uh, something that, that can actually be uh, dealt with in, in a reasonable way. And that's where an artificial intelligence system that can go through those papers and find those, those pieces of data about your particular area of expertise or your particular you know, concern area um, are so helpful to, to bring in all that. But as, as that happens, these new papers are bringing in new terms and new medications and new mm-hmm. everything. And, and so it is, it's constantly changing and growing and each new piece of data being brought into the system can potentially make huge changes without uh, being desired. So that there are unintended consequences with these systems that we do need just to take the time to think about as IAs, you know, what happens when we introduce a new paper and now that word that we taught the system has two meanings. And what do we do with that? How, how do we deal with that over time? And what used to mean this now means that. So for, um, for example, with autism and Asperger's, so Asperger's is not um, defined anymore in the same way it was. How do you deal with, with a change like that across millions of documents potentially? Yeah, I've been learning about ADHD and I keep getting, you know, we, we were saying ADD a couple of years ago and I was right many times uh, as I, if we're using the wrong term. Um, so there's a lot of change in language, of course, especially in, in areas of science and, and technology. But just jumping back for a moment, you were talking a bit about the journey of a, let's say, a researcher uh, in an area like uh, medicine. And um, what, I, what that made me think about was how AI is or is not being applied to help people understand a domain and find or navigate their way through the domain. So I always go back to uh, Marsha Bates' uh, very picking mm-hmm. article from, I guess that was like about 1989 or so. It sounds uh, right. Anyone yeah. listening, you should, re- uh, maybe it's Marcia Bates, but. Marcia, uh, yep. yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, berry picking is like this fundamental concept uh, in information retrieval and by extension in IA. If you don't know about it, I, I really think you should, if you're interested in IA, uh, where she gets into sort of the, um, a, a model, a metaphor of berry picking to describe how, people um, move through, sample, learn about, and change their information needs as they continually learn more. Mm-hmm. And how you might jump from browsing to searching to asking and, and so forth. The way those paths unfold um, have patterns that are very 
much based on both the type of information need a person has and where they are in their journey and, and uh, uh, are they trying to get the right answer? Are they trying to get just a smattering of, of uh, new content to introduce them and help them get up to speed on a topic? And there are other information needs as well. Are you seeing AI being applied to help uh, or to, to, to kind of predict and be in front of how people are employing uh, those various approaches to finding information. Yeah, yeah. So, so AI is definitely being used a lot in search. That's a pretty basic application, um, and and to bring up uh, results that that you know are more accurate and, and providing more context. Um, the the interesting thing is where where is it um, and how do we define? You know, this was presented to you because the AI saw a relationship between this and this and this, and this was presented to you with the old fashioned search. You know, and, or, or for some other reason. Um, and then with browsing as well, with all, with all these, dis these different things, if you go from one place to the next, um, you know, there may be a relationship between those two pieces of data and then, then there's more information surfaced to you because of that. And why is that information being surfaced? And, and who was the individual who actually trained that? I think that's a really important aspect is, is just understanding um, that, you know, we, we don't always now know who's created a website or, or anything about that individual, but even more so with AI, it's really important to understand, particularly in medicine and, and areas like that, where uh, provenance and, 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 you know, the, the people informing that could be very influential in what you're seeing. So, for example, um, with regard to cancer treatment, a very aggressive hospital, a hospital that treats cancer very aggressively is going to give very different information in their system and, and providing to a patient or, or to a, a healthcare provider very different information than a hospital that treats less aggressively or with more, um, you know, uh, uh, more basic treatments. And so the information that those two systems may provide may be on the same cancer, they may be um, taught um, with similar data, they may have similar um, articles uh, informing people, but may come up with completely different information because of their uh, the way that they actually want to deal with those those types of situations. So a lot of it is very much influenced by the the organization and biased by by the information that's put into the system. Right, and and you really have to question bias. The the you have to look for biases where you would not think to look. So mm -hmm. along the lines of uh, you know, or staying with the. Um, the healthcare and medicine uh, domain, you know, I think about article citation is, you know, mm -hmm. usually a, a good indicator of quality. And then, you know, think about uh, the article that the British researcher uh, uh, published that initially called into question the um, efficacy of vaccines and, 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 to, and started to suggest that they actually were the cause of autism. Right. Has, you know, been very roundly debunked, mm -hmm. but and highly cited. Yes, highly cited and still yeah. very available. And, and if you don't check to see what's, what is being fed into your system, it very well could be suggested as a, as a high, high uh, correlated article, uh, mm -hmm. you know, highly cited to your point. And that could be detrimental potentially, depending on the situation and uh, especially the way social media and other things elevate um, particular information. You, you do have to be very careful and very watchful of the systems to make sure that it is not inferring things that you don't want it to. 
um, because of the sources, because of the algorithms that have been written, because of the actual original data. Um, there's so many influences and, and keeping track of that, I think, is, is necessary for information architects to take on that responsibility, for better or worse, um, to, to make sure that our users are getting the, the experience that we expect them to and that we want them to have versus an experience, um, you know, that is, that is negative or harmful. Well, you know, I mean, that this is, you know, such a, a, an important point that people like information architects who really think about information, its provenance, its quality, its validity, you know, wh whether you call yourself an information architect or not, th this is such an important time for those skills. Mm -hmm. Because it's not just looking at, in the case of the article on, on vaccines and autism, the fact that, you know, the ontology site that, that the citation relationship is an important part of the ontology and, and you know without questioning it you think citation is an important and valuable thing but it's that's not even the nuanced enough type of relationship to look at you really have to be looking at not just the fact that you know an article is cited but how is right it cited as a, an example of good science or, mm -hmm. or bad science how do you and how can we teach software to tell the difference. So right, right. such an interesting time. Uh, we could certainly go on, but I, I wanted to ask you one last question. It's probably not a fair one, uh, <laughs> uh, but I got to think there's a lot of people interested in information architecture, listening to this podcast are also interested in getting into solving problems like this. But I also have a feeling that they haven't made it there yet. Like, I mean, these jobs are probably just opening up. We don't even know what they're called yet. Uh, without saying how, because I'm not sure anyone can say how information architects can get these jobs. What do you, can you predict how this connection might unfold in the coming years? Yeah. Uh, so, so I do think that, that there are more and more jobs where it's going to be necessary to, to at least have a, a base understanding of the, of the AI world. But at the same time, I feel like it is going to just naturally become part of all of our jobs eventually. Um, as, as AI is used more and more in systems, we will be in situations where we need to look at the, the source, the, the provenance of the data, to look at how it is being um, presented to users. How do we show them that that, that, that uh, article is not of, of a good uh, source or the how do we rank the information so that, that they understand not only are we confident in this result, but it is also accurate. It is also something that other professionals agree with that this is something that is is of high quality, high value. Um, and, and that's definitely in our realm. And I think it's going to be more and more. So I, I, I don't know that the job titles will change because I think this is still very much information architecture. It's very much the work that we do day to day, the source of it and how we represent then it will change. So the ways that we that we show and give transparency to our users so that they continue to trust the information that's being displayed, that's going to be paramount um, in getting these systems done. But, but I'm not sure that, um, that the, the jobs themselves may change all that much. Well, I guess maybe what I'm asking is uh, uh, to become the AIIA, uh -huh. what's my career path? How do I get there? Yeah. So, so how do I get that job? Uh, are they, are the people, uh, what do they call those jobs and the people hiring for them? Are they looking for us? I don't place? think, I don't think they're looking for you yet, unfortunately for us yet. I, I think that um, in a lot of companies, they see it as a technology problem, unfortunately, mm -hmm. which is, which is common. And uh, I do think that 
Um, a lot of companies are much like I was saying earlier with the, uh, with the, I need an app, I need an AI for that and not thinking about the users. So I, I do unfortunately think it'll be a little while. Um, at the same time, there are many companies with AI in their name um, that, that certainly need information architects uh, to be working there. And so I, I just start conversations with those people, go to um, AI conferences, they are everywhere. There are all kinds of conferences and meetups and things like that. A lot of people are interested in this. And I would, you know, try to continue evangelizing for the work that we do, the, you know, being, uh, representing our users, really making sure we're solving a problem that needs to be solved, that we're bringing value to our users and continue to have those conversations with people uh, and, and making sure that they really are trying to help humans and to augment our work and to uh, keep us safe and to uh, make sure that, that the information that we are accessing is information that we can trust and that we know and understand why it's there. Um, we, we definitely are gonna have a role in this um, I, I keep coming back to the like more near term connecting the dots part though. And uh, I love your idea of starting to go to the meetups and so forth. Um, before I go to that meetup, what is there any kind of um, crash course uh, or book I should read so I don't um, have a complete disconnect with whatever the language they're speaking there would be? Yeah, there, there are um, actually quite a few um, talks at, at conferences, the UX and IA conferences. Um, Dahlia Levine did one uh, just very recently at the IA Summit, and there have been other uh, conferences and events uh, recently where people are really talking about these things. So I think even looking within our community, you can find a lot of good information um, online. Uh, there's, there's no shortcut to, to learning this, unfortunately, um, but uh, by looking at it, as we do with, with any other problem, what are we trying to, to solve? Who are we solving the problem for? It, it, can, it can help you to, to understand how this might fit in and, and support the work. Well, I know Dahlia, so I'll have to bug her to, to join us for a, a future podcast. And, Excellent. And uh, in the meantime, thank you for joining us for today's podcast, Carol Smith, who um, we'll have to get you back on when you are ready to share what you've uh, learned from doing all this research on uh, developing self-driving vehicle user experience for Uber. Awesome. That would uh, be that's wonderful. That's going to be great. Uh, I <laughs> sure you can't talk about it now. Uh, <laughs> if you were, I'd be willing to make this a longer podcast. But all right. I'll let you go. Thank you again, Carol, for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you.